What's up, guys? Well, another corporate news reporter has left the corporation and gone independent. Her name is Brandy Cruz. I can't wait to introduce her to you. We're going to have a live conversation right here on my YouTube tonight. Oh, well, I'm getting feedback. There we go. So um, this is just hopefully some momentum for me. I have talked to other corporate news employees who want to get out right now. Some of them are tied to contracts, but uh, what we're seeing, the strange things we're seeing in our society right now, and just the corporations just putting blinders on, not wanting their reporters to go cover it, is making a lot of reporters antsy to get out of the corporation and actually return to journalism. So I can't wait to talk to Brandy Cruz about why she just left her her station, which was the Fox Corp station, another Fox Corp station in um in Seattle. Um, so before I bring her on, got to shout out my sponsor for this video. And that is glow with ivory. As far back as history can track, humans have tried to reverse aging. We hate seeing our faces age. And while some solutions do work, most of them fall short. However, myself and thousands of others have successfully watched our skin look and feel younger. Our secret is glow with ivory, glowwithivory.com. Uh, this product seems to be one of the best anti-aging serums. It helps with firming your skin, um, complexion brightness, and makes it smoother and softer. Take Glow with Ivory and get your glow back. This Black Friday, go to glowwithivory.com or click the link below in my description to get up to 38% off your order today, glowwithivory.com. All right. So before I bring Brandy on the screen and we have a live conversation with her, maybe she can even answer some of your questions. I want to uh, bring up her YouTube here where she announced that she was leaving. Just play a little bit for you. I'm Brandy Cruz and I just quit my job in corporate media. Here's why. This is one of the most important moments in history for journalism. I mean, a free press was built for a moment like this. A moment where government at all levels is exerting direct and profound power over people's lives. Yet too many in the mainstream media are falling short of their obligations to question that power. It is our job to challenge the prevailing narrative. If not us, then who? So on Friday, I resigned from my job in corporate media. And at the end of the day, my rationale is simple. I no longer believed that I could work for them and also work for you. Okay, with that, I want to bring Brandy Cruz on. Let's bring her on. Hey, Brandy, thanks for joining. Hello, good to be here. Um, so tell me, what uh, what were some of the first things that happened um, with the news coverage in Seattle? You're working at Q Fox, which is owned by Fox Corp, just like my old station. Um, what happened that that started to make you think maybe I should go independent? Yeah, and I will say, and I was telling you this uh, in the in the green room before we started, that it, it was interesting when you did your thing, which you have some cojones, uh, you went out big. Uh, <laughs> that was the talk of uh, definitely our Fox affiliate in Seattle. Um, you know, I will say first and foremost, I think just based on what I know for your reasons for leaving, I will say mine were, were pretty different. You know, I didn't have any censorship issues with Fox. Fox bought us two years ago. Before that, for five mm -hmm. years, we were owned by Tribune Media. Um, Fox honestly treated us pretty well during the pandemic. I'd never been told what I could and could not say. 
But the big thing that happened for me is I had a Sunday morning political show that I started under Tribune that was very popular. It was uh, unique to local news. We covered things that the mainstream media locally just was not talking about. And so I got a lot of fulfillment and enjoyment out of that. I thought it was something meaningful and something that was needed in the city. Um, and a decision was made under the new Fox management that it wasn't going to move forward. I disagreed with that decision, but ultimately, you know, they're the bosses. And so I knew when the show wasn't going to proceed, you know, we basically had a disagreement about what it would look like. Um, and so I knew when that happened, I was going to leave. That was about a month and a half ago. And so I almost quit right away uh, when the show wasn't going to come back. I got some good advice from my agent, from some uh, professional colleagues who just said, just you know, let the emotional roller coaster over it die down and then make a decision. I'm glad I did that because I got to spend the last month and a half really um, planning this launch of, of Undivided and making sure it was sort of everything I wanted it to be um, before before I launched. But yeah, I mean, there I have issues with local media and the national media in general. But I would say overall, you know, my experience with Fox maybe wasn't exactly identical to what yours was. Oh, okay. So, so you had a show called Divided, right? And now it's Undivided. And uh, yeah, by the yeah. way, you, you can see a couple of her first episodes on that YouTube I just played. I I linked Brandy's YouTube in my description here. So, um, so you're saying so you were kind of able to cover facts outside the narrative on that show you had. Yeah, I think we did stuff the mainstream media wasn't doing. And the reality is I just had management before that kind of let me loose to uh, do stories I wanted to do um, and to really lean into things I was passionate about. And, you know, it was just a different management style when Fox came in. That's fine. They can run a business how they want to run a business. But it meant that I wasn't able to uh, do stories that I thought were important in the Seattle DMA. And so then you get into the situation and this is one of the things I've talked about. You know, I do I do believe there are there is some censorship happening in local newsrooms where, you know, corporations will say you can't cover this, you can't cover that. I know you experienced uh, that as well. But there's also in local mainstream media some self-censorship that happens where, oh, yeah. you know, you're working in a corporate environment. You know, you're working at a mainstream media outlet. So you might not bring forward some story ideas that you could easily do independently just because you already know that they're probably not going to go anywhere. And so I think it was more so the self-censorship. And then when the show went away, um, you know, people know what local newscasts look like. You're trying to do meaningful reporting in between weather and traffic and kickers and national news. And you get like a minute and 15 seconds. And that format to me, I believe, isn't conducive to good, solid journalism that people need right now. Yeah. I agree. So you're saying you were into implementing some self-censorship during this during the pandemic because you already knew your bosses were going to turn it down. So why put a target on your back by pitching that story anyway? Yeah, I think there is and there always has been a level of self-censorship where and e even if it's a story that's a little more off the wall, because when you're operating in that corporate environment, there's a lot of factors that go into story selection, right? You want stories that appeal to the, the most amount of people or to your particular um, viewership base and, and you know, ratings are involved. And so there might be stories that are a little more un undercover, uncovered, um, that aren't quite as mainstream that you find interesting, that you think people will find interesting if you can get the story out there, but it's a harder sell to make in a corporate environment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think there is a lot of self-censorship that happened in my newsroom as well. And I remember, 
I'm mean, you just the narrative, right? Is something that you can just sense that's not talked about. You sense what is going to fly in corporate news and what's not. And I just remember getting story ideas from viewers and like, or viewers would, would have like serious questions. And I'm like, something in me is like, I really should pitch this, but I know that everyone's going to look at me weird if I do, but the viewers do want to know this. And then it's like, oh my gosh, an adrenaline rush. Should I? <laughs> Yeah. And you'll get, you know, Seattle's a very progressive city, arguably one of the most progressive cities in America. And so you'll have, you know, pitches about people angry with vaccine mandates and all those things that we didn't cover that. But I felt like we could have leaned into it a little bit more because regardless of how the press feels about vaccines and vaccine mandates uh, or masking or whatever it is, that's government exertion of profound power over people's lives. And that's where the press is supposed to step in. And so in a lot of ways, as it pertains to the pandemic, I felt like the press uh, wasn't living up to its baseline obligation, which is question people in power, no matter who's in power and no matter what kind of power they're exerting. So I know in my newsroom, because I left Fox Corp, I left the Fox Houston station in June. And and it was absolutely this culture of, well, the CDC said this, so we don't question the CDC. We copy and paste what the CDC said. <laughs> is that how it was for you guys too? Well, I think there is just in general, a lack of critical thinking. And I think there's a couple contributing factors to that. I do believe that local news has a pervasive environment. And I don't want to I don't want to dismiss. Uh, I had a lot of people I loved who I worked with who were great journalists, but also local news as a whole. I think there's this pervasive culture of people who are on TV to be on TV. Um, you know, I came from radio news and to me, it didn't matter what platform I was doing journalism as long as I could do good journalism. But I do believe that there is still this tendency in local news to hire people for what they look like, not their capabilities. Um, I wish local TV news would get away from that. But I think what that breeds is not always the best person for the job, not always the best journalist, not always a critical thinker. And so I think that's it, that's what you're seeing in local newsrooms. I just wish that format would, I wish people could get past that, the, the visuals of it. Um, and also, I think there's time constraints in local news. Like I said, you get sometimes a minute and 10 seconds to put a package together on something. How are you going to cover an issue as complex as the pandemic and all the intricacies of mandates and all of that in a minute and 10 seconds? And then on a tight, tight deadline, it's really, really hard to do. Uh, and so I think there's just some format issues, the way that local corporate media is structured that under undercuts the ability of the good journalists that are there to do good work. So I imagine your now independent reports are going to be more uh, long form. Yeah. So we'll do um, throughout the week, you know, five to minutes, uh, five to seven minute segments that really dive into things. And then on Sunday, my old show used to air on Sundays uh, right before Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace. And so that's where I'm going to put it now too. Uh, the goal is to sort of compete with what at least the local stations have on TV. So I'll do a longer show. But my my passion is really like the episode I have this Sunday, the Seattle City Council is back to its old ways of uh, defunding SPD while trying to pretend they're not defunding the Seattle Police Department. And so we're going to go really clip by clip and do an in-depth analysis and sort of use council members' words, uh, own words against them to show how they're manipulating people, how they're gaslighting people into trying to pretend that they're not doing something that they're clearly doing. And so I really want to, um, when I when I do stories that way, you know, very in-depth, very sort of clip by clip, uh, an extensive breakdown. My goal is to get people thinking that way in their everyday lives when they're hearing a politician speak, when they're watching a council meeting, to really be thinking and taking in and absorbing everything and thinking about it critically. So yeah, much longer segments. 
uh, which will be fun. Getting people to think for themselves. I love that. And I'm sure Fox is just thrilled to have you competing with them now <laughs> in the same time slot. Um, yeah, so I mean, it'll be digital, but the goal for 18 months right. is to get into a full-fledged studio space, to hire other independent reporters who are doing great work, maybe, maybe even poach some reporters from other stations, uh, and to create a newsroom environment that mimics a local newsroom environment, but where people are free to pursue stories that aren't being pursued. That's wonderful. And that'll be on uh, Patreon, right? Am I saying that right? Yeah, Patreon. So I, I launched on Patreon on Monday, which was a new experience for me, but it's been great. Um, Patreon.com forward slash undivided. Uh, you get some bonus content. If uh, you are a subscriber, you can subscribe for as little as $5 a month. And then um, all my existing social media platforms are where I post content. So Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, my podcast, we have an undivided podcast that posts on Monday and Fridays. And so you can get the vast majority of the content for free. But for people who feel like contributing to the mission, there's a subscription on Patreon. Wonderful. And I linked your Patreon on my YouTube as well and some of your social media. And so one of the reports you came out with this week in regards to um, the election for the top prosecutor, I guess, in the city there and how close that was in the fact that Seattle almost elected someone who wanted to defund the police. But they you know, it was really fascinating because so I'm sure you saw the headlines that Seattle voters elected a Republican, which is true. So, you know, the race for Seattle city attorney in a normal year would have got no attention. But this year it pitted a Republican, which like is like a unicorn in Seattle against a police abolitionist. So you had someone who believed in doing away with traditional prosecution, um, really doing away and abolishing the criminal justice system as it exists. And she wanted to lead the criminal justice system in the city of Seattle. And so voters, much to the surprise of some, you know, they elected a Republican, were able to see past the label. But, you know, my segment was on the fact that the, the police abolitionist came so close to winning. She came within four percentage points of winning at a time of rising crime, at a time of record low police staffing. And so I just found it fascinating that even with all the concerns over public safety in the city, that voters would have come that close to putting someone like Nicole Thomas Kennedy, as her name, uh, in one of the most powerful positions in, in the criminal justice system in the city. It was fascinating to me and a little bit terrifying. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering how much was that due to the press there actually not confronting full-fledged the fact that she wants to, you know, be the prosecutor but take away the police? Yeah, there were there was definitely some outlets. And I mean, even when I was at Fox, we did a story. So for people who aren't familiar with Nicole Thomas Kennedy, I call her the notorious tweeter. Um, she spent the last month of her campaign having to answer questions about some really vile tweets she sent back in 2020 during all the unrest in Seattle and across the country. She called cops serial killers on Twitter. She celebrated people who lit construction trailers on fire at the youth jail. She called uh, people heroes who threw an explosive device at the East Seattle Police Department <laughs> precinct. So, I mean, we're talking about some incredibly vile tweets. And the local press did cover that. But one of the missteps I thought was, you know, there's this, I think, belief that you have to treat all candidates as equally qualified, as equally fit for office, when in reality, the potential consequences of someone with her history of remarks 
um, for instance, against the Seattle Police Department at a time when officers are fleeing in droves. Do you think officers are going to want to stay in the city if they have someone as a top prosecutor who thinks they're serial killers? Probably not. So I think that there could have been more of a push from the mainstream media to really reevaluate how they covered her as a candidate and if they were critical enough about her ideas and the potential implications of having her in office. I think there was a lot of uh, failure there. How do you think this culture in the press formed of, of just not questioning that? You know, slowly over time, and I think there's a variety of factors, it is a reality that most people in the mainstream media um, skew left. I, I think that's been pretty much proven by now. There's been studies and polling and all that. Um, so that's a reality you have to contend with. Um, the other factors, I think, is the again, I go back to the structure of if we're talking local media, the structure of local media, which is um, short staffed newsrooms. Uh, limited time to put stories together. Uh, and so you have people being less and less critical. But also, I do believe that the press has been scared into crossing, you know, pushing boundaries by the kind of cancel culture online. You know, I have gotten very comfortable being attacked on social media. Uh, it's just been part of my my job for so long, uh, because I was right. in the realm of opinion when I was in local news. But I do believe that there are some reporters who would push the boundaries a little bit more, if not for the pushback that they would get on social media, especially in a city like Seattle, where you have such a predominantly progressive populace um, for reporters, if they want to really challenge a vaccine mandate or a mask mandate or defunding, there's a lot of, I know from experience, a lot of pushback that comes with that. So I think there's fear from that for the reporters but also for stations, because you do have to understand that you have ratings. That's how you operate. That's how you function uh, as a company. Um, and so, you know, that comes into it as well. And the same with the same with national media. If you're a CNN, you know who your audience is. If you're a Fox, you know who your audience is. And there is uh, a hesitancy to, you know, not uh, cover things in a way that aligns with your viewer base because you, you're worried about ratings. And so all of that leads to, I think, journalists in a fourth estate that has become less and less uh, critical uh, of politicians over time. Wow. That's, that's an interesting thought. And I think back to my situation and working for Fox and them, them muzzling certain things that, that might, might be considered right wing like that, that drug that starts with an H, you know, just because <laughs> Trump was pushing it and like here. Um, and I'm like, at no time did I ever endorse that drug, but the fact that I allowed a doctor to say he was using it was them that led them to discipline me. But here I am, I'm in a red state. So if they're, if they're concerned about ratings, you know, you would think they would like that drug being talked about because it's Trump's drug. So in my case, it didn't even make sense, but you're saying you, you didn't really experience quite what I experienced but we were both at Fox Corp stations, which is really interesting. Carrie Lake in, Era, in Phoenix was at a Fox Corp station, and she left saying for similar for similar reasons, although she decided to go into politics. So now in your video announcing your departure, you said that journalism was made for such a time as this. What did you mean by, by that? I mean, when you really think about it, you know, when you talk about government at all levels, the national level, government, federal level, um, you know, cities and municipalities and everything in between the states, there is 
I don't believe ever been a time where government at all our at all levels is exerting such a profound amount of power over people's lives, over their livelihoods, over their health, over their education. Um, and so, you know, this is what the fourth estate was made for, was to question the decisions of people in power. And, you know, I think there's been this kind of, you know, you have journalists who, you know, it is our job to share pertinent health information in a pandemic. That's part of our duty as as journalists is to get important information out to the public about how they can protect themselves, how they can protect their families. But, you know, if you push back um, with your questions about a vaccine mandate, that doesn't mean you're anti-vaccine. You know, it means that you're being critical of an exertion of government power, which is what our job is supposed to be. And I think that some journalists have been hesitant to push back about mandates because they believe it means they're pushing back against vaccines. They're going to be called anti-vaxxers, which is just not the case. You know, you can give important health information, accurate health information to the public, and you can also question the decisions that elected leaders are making as it pertains to how they're responding to a pandemic. We have to question those decisions. You know, and to your point about, um, you know, stories and, and things that are kind of blown off as conspiracy theories, you know, one of the conversations I was having today with Alison Morrow, who's another uh, person who left uh, the news business in Seattle and is doing independent work on censorship. You know, I think about the story on the Wuhan lab and on whether coronavirus came from a lab and how for months and months and months, the mainstream media said it was a conspiracy theory touted by the former president. Uh, And then you had the government come out and say, actually, we are (laughs) considering the possibility that it uh, came from that laboratory. And then overnight, like they had no self-awareness at all, the media just changed its headlines and didn't even acknowledge that for months they had uh, labeled it a conspiracy theory. At least if they had had some introspection and self-awareness and their headlines were like, hey, we call this a conspiracy theory, uh, our bad. Now the government is saying it's not. Sorry, we fell short of our obligation to you. So those are some of the frustrations that I hear from people about the media. Absolutely. I call it the crisis of timid journalism because... I think journalists are so afraid about their own reputation and maybe it it goes down to the fear of being fired because a lot of people do get randomly fired in the media, but they're so afraid of being called a conspiracy theorist that they'll jump and call other people a conspiracy theorist and shun other stories and questions that the viewers have. And, uh, and it's a crying shame. Um, so I, I wanted to let some of the viewers ask a couple of questions for sure. before we let you guys go. So one viewer asked, was, did you notice, where's this question? I'm going to bring these up. Here we go. Did Brandy notice any election malfeasance? Any election malfeasance? Um, so here's the thing I want to say about election fraud. The the media failed on this in this regard. You know, a lot of headlines after 2020 were um, no election fraud, you know, claims of election fraud false. And the media needed to use a lot. um, uh, They needed their, their, their wording needed to be different on a lot of things, because we know hands down that there's always election fraud. There's election fraud in every single election. And had the media used a little more nuance, they would have talked about the cases of election fraud or tampering or whatever it is that we knew of, and then segued into the reality, which I believe is true, that there wasn't uh, election fraud that was widespread enough to cost President Donald Trump the election. Uh, And so the way in which the media made that a black and white issue to say, nope, there was no fraud, when there's clearly fraud, 
just made people not trust them. And so I think as a media, you have to use more nuance in that conversation. I mean, we always have, you know, we have a mail-in voting system here. And I will say over the years, it's gotten better. You know, early on, it struggled a little bit. It faltered a little bit. So it was right for people to be critical of states that were just during the middle of the pandemic trying to uh, roll out a mail-in voting system. It didn't happen in Washington overnight. Um, So those questions about how you're going to keep it safe and secure uh, were absolutely reasonable questions to have and things the media needed to be uh, demanding answers on and transparency on. But as a whole, you know, people would fall into these two camps of no fraud or widespread fraud when the reality, as it often is, was somewhere in the middle. And it's it's incumbent on the press to capture the nuance of a situation like that. Good point. Absolutely. I agree. People have lost so much trust over this past year. Um, because uh, some of the, you know, it's really turned into, I think, propaganda that's been so obvious. Um, let me see this question. Okay. The comments are coming through so quick. Hold on. Oh, so are you concerned about, uh, getting kicked off the Patreon for your political views? No, you know, I've heard people concerned about that saying, Hey, why'd you pick Patreon? But I I had multiple meetings with Patreon staff before I launched, I think four or five. Um, That was one of the concerns that I brought up to them. You know, I know somebody who was on Patreon doing fairly well with a podcast. And it was funny because I had my Patreon all ready to go. And then I heard that that podcast was moving over to Substack and I reached out and I was like, why are you doing that? And um, they were concerned about, you know, the free speech issues, but then, you know, they wow. had actually said, actually, we would, we wish we hadn't done it now. Um, oh. You know, I've heard from locals, um, somebody with that uh, entity reached out to me today to see if I wanted to, to toy with that. But, um, you know, I am not a flamethrower. Um, I, my, my show is frankly about moderacy. And on my first episode, I talked for the first time about my personal political beliefs. I'm a moderate independent. Um, and if I can't uh, have a political show as a moderate independent without being deplatformed, then there's a serious issue in America. You know, I well, don't engage in true conspiracy theories. I uh, do question things. I do um, use independent thought. But based on my conversations with Patreon, I'm very hopeful and I don't believe that anything I I would say would cross such a boundary. But I could be proven wrong, I guess. I think you're going to find it pretty interesting being independent because I wasn't censored until I went independent. And I did some investigative reporting that was, was verified, but the facts were backed up and I, and it got deplatformed off of YouTube and I got a strike and I was like, what's going on? YouTube doesn't like straight up journalism, but I was using, um, it, it was in regards to COVID treatment, which we're not even going to say those words here because YouTube has the bots that pick up the keywords and it does not matter what your perspective is or how much you're verifying the fact that you used the keyword is reason to strike you is what I learned. So it's, but that's YouTube. I hope Patreon's a lot better. Okay. Here's another, why does, okay. Someone said, why does the wording and timing seem so lockstep among many different media outlets? Why does the wording and timing seem so so similar? Well, part of it is that um, is is the what I call regurgitation journalism, which is, you know, a news release comes out and it goes straight from your inbox out to your Twitter or your Facebook or whatever without any critical analysis. And that's just a virtue of competition. Right. You want to be first, not necessarily right or uh, doing something in a way that helps the audience digest information. Uh, And so that's part of it. You know, it's just like how rapid can we get this stuff out? You'd be surprised how much 
you know, Twitter feeds are journalists just regurgitating information from the government. And at that point, you have to wonder, well, are you just a middleman? Uh, and, and if so, what's stopping the government from just cutting the middleman out and disseminating that information directly to the public? And so, you know, what I would like to see more of is the press taking the time to um, give anything that comes from the government a critical analysis and then um, sharing it with people as they see fit, you know, in a way that's journalistic. But so that's probably why everything comes out. It's the it's the uh, I can't think of the other word for it. Oh, the stenography. It's stenography journalism. Mm. Yeah, I think government officials are doing that now. They're just disseminating their own news online, which when I was in J school, uh, they were warning this would happen. Um, the, the internet was booming at that point. They're like, yeah, government officials are going to just be using, use, creating their own news outlets. Yeah. And uh, I would say about that, you know, um, even former, I'm sure there's a lot of people on, on this channel who are supporters of the former president and he, you know, his way to go around the media, a media that he felt was unfair to him was to disseminate information directly on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, until he was deplatformed, of course, but none of us should want that, right? None of us should want things to get to a point where politicians are just, putting information directly out to the public and bypassing the press, because the press, if it's functioning as it should, is supposed to be, um, you know, a sieve for that kind of information. And it's supposed to filter it and make sure it's accurate. Um, and so, you know, the situation as it turned out with President Trump, I don't think was healthy for the country. But, you know, when you look at it um, in hindsight, you can understand why he was bypassing the media. For, for everything. And so it's just interesting how it turned out. But I, I, I hope the press can kind of right the ship uh, so that Americans trust them more to filter information that's coming from elected officials. Right. I, I always believe more information is better, but pe people don't have all the time in the world to sift through all the, all, all the info, which is where the press comes in. But I think it's great if politicians can put out their own info and then that challenges the press to look at it, critically filter it and, and provide information that's um, valuable and truthful with the public. And the reason the public was turning straight to Trump's Twitter was because the media was so obviously deceptive about what he was saying. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the president, he didn't always tell the truth. I mean, you know, no, no politician always tells the truth. And so, like I said, I don't blame him for turning directly to social media because I don't know that you could look back critically and say that he was treated fairly as far as how the press treated other presidents. Um, you know, and that's the challenge too, is you have to have an even hand with politicians uh, regardless of what political party they are, regardless of, you know, whether you like their personality or not. Right. Fascinating, fascinating insight. I love your insight. So before I let you go, since since you guys, you were in a Fox-owned station when I called out Fox Live on air, what were they saying? What did they say? I mean, first of all, I admire the ability. I have I have so many questions about this. I feel like I want to interview you for a second. <laughs> One of the questions I have, and I'll tell you what the, the thing was in the newsroom, did your camera guy know you were going to do that? No, he didn't. <laughs> did did the production or anyone know you were going to do that? Actually, so I I was really close friends with one camera person that I did told I, I did tell because I worked with that person the previous Thursday and I knew it was going to be the last time that I would actually work with that person. So I was like, Hey, I'm about to do this. And I knew they'd keep it secret for me. But, uh, but the, the guy I actually worked with that day, I didn't tell him. Um, Cause I was and, impressed and that the they didn't people. a cut your feed. Um, I and know. That, 
and that the camera guy just kept the camera on you. <laughs> it was like, he must've just been stunned or something or they weren't paying attention in the booth. So those were my reactions in the newsroom, which is, were they just not paying attention? Because I can't imagine in our newsroom that the, the feed wouldn't have been pulled down, but I admired your ability to uh, seamlessly transition from your uh, pitch towards Project Veritas to the air conditioner story. And the poor dude working on air conditioners in the background had no idea he was about to go viral. So that was sort of what we were talking about in the newsroom. And I'm sure it was a big, uh, a, a big deal with Fox, but you know, like I said, it just to be truthful, my experience with Fox was so much different, but it could have been that you were pushing boundaries that, that I wasn't pushing at my station. Uh, that might've been part of it. And also we were probably newer to Fox ownership than you were, but yeah, we were, we were just mostly joking about the, uh, the poor AC tech in the background. <laughs> yeah. I think they were, I think the whole production crew was just like in shock about it. And maybe some of them weren't actually tuning into the words I was saying, maybe, you know, the button pushers in the, you know, the show director, it sounds like a big word, but all he does is push buttons in the control room. And maybe he just pushed my button. He's like, okay, it's Ivory's turn. I'll, I'll get back to her when I have to, you know? And cause I was shocked that after they rolled my entire package about broken ACs, they came back to me. <laughs> People don't know that. For my, they let me have my tag. I could have dropped some more bombs, but I had, I, I had mercy and just sent it back to the anchor. Yeah, I um, all that was shocking to me. But when you know kind of the inner workings of a local TV station, you're probably right that they probably put you on and weren't tuned into what you were saying. Um, yeah. But just, I, I'm, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in the newsroom there when that happened. So. Uh, yeah, like I said at the very beginning of this, you definitely have some cojones, and um, I will never forget the the sweaty AC man in the background. I'm sure he's he's he does, maybe he doesn't even know he's internet famous. I think he does. Yeah, I think he does. I'll have to track that guy down sometime. Too funny. All right. Well, I'm thrilled to have you independent as well, Brandy Cruz. Everybody, go check out her Patreon, her YouTube, her social media. I put it all in my description. And it's just good to have a diversity of free voices. This is the free press now. Um, because it's, it's really sad. These corporations have gotten so big that at this point they're compromised and just, um, these, the bold, the people willing to actually break away and do something on their own is what we need right now. So I'm, I'm thrilled to introduce you guys to Brandy and meet her myself. It's my first time meeting you. Um, so all the best to you, Brandy. Thanks for coming on my show. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's really meaningful to me that you would take the time uh, to talk about it. And I'm hopeful that we'll see more and more journalists uh, making this move to be able to do work that they think better serves the public. Absolutely. All right. Have a great weekend. Talk to you later.